Hello, and welcome to another special episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective. Today, Daniel, Lauren, and I are delighted to get to sit down with Mr. Troy Evans. Mr. Evans is best known to the ER world through his character, Frank Martin, making 129 appearances over parts of 11 seasons. He can currently be seen on the Amazon TV series, Bosch. Mr. Evans, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks for having me. So just to start off, uh, why don't you give us a little uh, information. How'd you get started in acting? Well, you know, I always have a little wrestling match with myself. I get asked that question on these, these kinds of situations. Not in the normal way. I, I, I grew up in a small town, Northwest Montana, and I was very interested in politics from a very early age. I mean, grade school age, I was deeply interested. My grandfather uh, uh, was a, a state senator in the state of uh, Washington, uh, state of Montana, what did I say, Washington. And uh, then there was, uh, I don't know if you guys remember a guy named Mike Mansfield, but he was a, a senior United States senator from the state of Montana. Uh, he was the head of the Senate for many years and later he was the ambassador to Japan. And so that, between my grandfather and Mike Mansfield, I knew that a guy from Montana could, could go places. And my goal was I was gonna go through high school, go to law school, University of Montana, uh, I was going to become a, a, a lawyer, go to the state legislature, become the governor of Montana, become the senator from Montana, and I was going to be the first president from a Western state. Then, uh, graduated high school in 1966, started uh, college down in Missoula, got drafted out of college, went to Vietnam, was in Vietnam in the infantry for 17 months came home and I was totally unaware of it, but I was pretty close to completely out of my mind. <laughs> and instead of going back to school, I opened a bar in Montana, up in, in Northwest Montana, the only rock and roll bar for like a hundred mile radius. <laughs> There's a place called appropriately the Powder Cave. And it turns out that owning a bar is not really a good profession for a disturbed alcoholic. <laughs> and so I went from one horrible mess to another horrible mess. And like two and a half years later, uh, I was uh, in Montana State Prison. I'd, uh, uh, I'd gotten in a bunch of these bar fights, uh, which would normally result in a $100 fine and a lecture. But in this case, uh, I broke the guy's legs and he was an attorney Ooh. and that's when the, the wheels of justice start to turn. Uh, if I'd known breaking an attorney's legs was illegal, I never would have done that, but I wasn't a lawyer yet. So uh, uh, I'm down in Montana State Prison and I don't know if you've ever been around a, a, a severe alcoholic, but you know, you don't sober up over the weekend. It's like six months later and the cobwebs are starting to come out of my brain and I'm sitting in my cell one morning and went, I bet I'm not going to be the governor now. <laughs> you know? No, probably not. So then I start thinking, what, what can I do? Well, I can't own the bar anymore. 
can't go back in the military, can't be a police officer, can't be a teacher, can't be an accountant. What the hell am I going to do? And one day I thought, I'll bet nobody ever asks an actor if he has a <laughs> felony conviction. And that day I sent a request into the warden for a copy of Hamlet. And sat in my cell and read Hamlet. Got out, went to the university down in Bozeman in their uh, theater program. Was there one year and on spring break went down to Berkeley, California to visit an old girlfriend who was going to school there. And they were auditioning uh, for a theater called Pacific Conservatory of Performing Arts, which is down in Santa Maria, about a, a, it's a little uh, vegetable growing town about a mile north of Santa Barbara. And they had an active theater there. And I auditioned for it on a lark and got hired and changed my life. Uh, uh, one, one thing I'll tell you is one of the actresses who was working in this little, you know, it's a little summer theater in a, in a two-year college, but one of the actresses was married to a young playwright named John Wells. Nice. So I met John Wells and John Wells actually put me, uh, in a pilot that he got produced uh, in the early 80s uh, that was uh, a, about a family of carpenters, which is how he had he had grown up. And that uh, pilot didn't go. And then uh, he wrote some stuff for me on China Beach. And then when he got ER going, he uh, I did the pilot of ER. And as you know, came on later. But that's how the little magic of life happens. Yeah. So that's yeah. how I became it. Wow. Uh, so yeah, I guess that that kind of answers my next question. Uh, you know, we were going to mention you that beginning around 89, 90, you appeared on China Beach for a few years. And of course, there's a lot of ER overlap with that John Wells, as well as some of the other um, writers and directors who would go on to work on ER later on. Um, so would you say that it was more so the that that kind of chance meeting early on that led you to be able to work your way up to the ER pilot, or was it more so him getting familiar with your work on China Beach? Well, you know, it, it all started with, uh, with John knowing who I was. And then when he uh, got involved in the uh, project uh, uh, China Beach, uh, uh, he, I was one of very few people in Hollywood who was actually a Vietnam veteran. And, and that was, uh, you know, this virtually never happens. But I was my first day on China Beach. The part I had uh, wasn't even really scripted. It was a, a, an episode where uh, Dana Delaney and Marg Helgenberger had to go back to the States for some reason, and they were treated very inhumanely by the, uh, the military people they had to deal with, and they had to go through this disinfectant process. And I was just a, uh, I was a sergeant running this thing, and they just had me yelling that random military bullshit, <laughs> you, know, the, uh, you know, who Arlie Army is, right? Yeah. It was basically the Arley Army part. And, and so I did that one day, it was essentially a glorified extra. And then they brought me back as the motor pool sergeant. And then I 
uh, did a few episodes and the third season, uh, they made me a series regular. You know, you, you never work your way up from a little part to a series regular, but in that case, I did. And then, uh, so by that time, John and I were friends and then he got the uh, ER project going and uh, asked me if I would do uh, the pilot. And I, I was doing fairly well in my career by that time. And so this is just a one scene part. I was Noel Wiley's, for, you know, the, uh, I was Noel Wiley's first patient. And ER was kind of unique. A lot of shows in Hollywood, especially at that time, you could be on it uh, uh, as a cab driver and the next season you're on it as the bartender and the next season you're a cop and, and you know, but on ER, if you were on the show, you could only be on the show as that person. So I did that part of the cop who'd been shot in the leg and then six years later, uh, Abe Ben Ruby had left the show for his own reasons. And they called me up about 11 o'clock one night. Troy, would you be interested in, in being the, you know, the desk clerk on ER? And I said, well, you know, I'd really have to think about that. Hell yes. <laughs> and, but, uh, but I had no idea I'd do 129 episodes of it. So yeah, pretty nice. So you have just solved an ER mystery for us. We have always wondered if the cop that you played in the pilot that Noah Wiley stabs and, you know, very clumsily handles, if you, if that is the same Frank Martin, the same police officer that we see six years later. They finessed their rule. So so the, the cop, Frank Martin, had retired and this was his his retirement gig, his side hustle, was, uh, you know, you know, I had a, a secret fantasy, one of those things that would never happen, but I thought it would be, uh, I, I like the idea that at the end, when, when uh, you know, the storylines were that the ER was really suffering, they were going to close the ER, and there was all kinds of financial problems, and they were hemorrhaging doctors and all that stuff, and, uh, in my imagination, it turned out that uh, Frank was a very active union guy, and his union bought the hospital, and Frank became the head of the hospital. <laughs> and accepted. Make it so. Yeah, thank you very much. I'd watch that spinoff. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, what went into uh, your preparation for the role of Frank? Uh, were you sort of given a character history or did you have the freedom to fill in a lot of the blanks in his backstory and his sort of character motivations? That was pretty much left to me. And it's, uh, you know, he's not a complicated character. <laughs> he's really like a military guy. You know, he do his job. Uh, you come in with an ice pick in your head, you sit over there. We'll get to you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, and but you know, anytime you're working on a series, you're really playing kind of a chess game with the writers because they write something and then you interpret that, and then that goes back into their consciousness and that affects what they write next, and so. Uh, it, 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 in a very subtle way, 
massages the, the character massages itself back and forth between the actor and the writers and you know that that show was a writer show uh, and that's why it went for 15 years I mean they hired really 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 good actors uh, but uh, you know on a, on a lot of uh, of series the actors are allowed to kind of run roughshod over the writing and on er was never you know john wells is primarily a writer and uh if george clooney wanted to change a line of course they're going to listen to george <laughs> but if they go to the writer and say you know he wants to say this in, in, instead of that uh, and the writer says, no, I, I, I wrote that for a reason. Then George Clooney would say it the way it was written. <laughs> so not a lot of room for improv. No. With, uh, with the, with, on the ER set. It was not an, it was not an improv show. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, because he, here, here's the trap that every actor thinks that they are clever. <laughs> Myself included. <laughs> And the fact is, not all actors are. So uh, particularly when you have a cast the size of, of the ER cast, and then if you're letting people say whatever they want to say, then pretty soon it doesn't sound like ER anymore. It sounds like a bunch of knuckleheads <laughs> at Starbucks. Bullshit. <laughs> Which I suppose people would watch it. They watch, you know, Teen Mom. But... Uh, uh, but you, you know what I'm saying, that, the, that that discipline, I I really believe, is the key reason that ER went for 15 years. And there, there's, a, there's another uh, uh, real major element, which is all, all shows have technical advisors now. And so you're on a military show, and they always have some retired lieutenant colonel there, and that guy is there... Uh, to be completely ignored <laughs> so they can say yeah we, we have an advisor here and they're setting up their thing and he's saying well you know uh when we were in vietnam you know we we're just please please you know we're trying to work here you know and they do whatever the hell they want and but not on er when everything else was done then and they they always had an er doctor on the set and it couldn't be a retired er doctor it had to be somebody who's actually still working guys who are, who are working shifts as ER doctors and then they would come in and look at the scene and if they said no we would never ever have that thing there doing that that doesn't go there then they would change it they, would, they never rolled that camera until the doctors were happy so of course the show wasn't perfect because you know, we weren't actually an ER, but it was pretty close. And and the effort was always there to have it be right. Right. So you, you kind of mentioned before how Frank is a pretty simple guy. He's he's pretty easy to get a read on. You know, he's kind of he's cranky. He's pretty rigid. He's sarcastic. Um, and in a lot of cases has seemingly lacks an ability to empathize with people. Um, was it difficult for you to reconcile playing such a kind of narrow-minded character but yet still find ways to make him entertaining oh no no i actually love that <laughs> and and the other thing and i was kind of alluding to this when i was talking about the chess game 
with the writers that they're writing all that and and they knew that they could always trust me that they didn't have to give me a paragraph they could give me three words at the end of the scene and i i put a tight little button on it and and they and they could move on but they knew that there was more there so uh, so that's why they got those really interesting moments, like when it, uh, when Pratt is dying, mm-hmm. and it's Frank who's there, and then, and you have this guy who you've always seen as basically the parking lot attendant, you know, and he has this really emotional scene with this dying doctor. That's what makes it interesting. Right. If I if I'd been at the desk weeping for seven years, then that's then that scene doesn't really mean anything. But when I I've, I've been out there being cranky, Frank, <laughs> and then you see the emotion come out, then the, the, you know they laid the the groundwork for that for years. It was just writers, bless them. <laughs> so one of our favorite characters as we've been going through the early seasons has been uh, Jerry. Says you met as you mentioned him earlier, played by Aunt Abraham Ben Ruby, uh, who you would uh, work again with on Bosch, I understand. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. in and in later seasons, there was really a, there was a, we we love the relationship between Jerry's sort of gentle giant character and your and your sort of more cranky conservative character. What are uh, what are some of your favorite memories of working with him? And uh, how would you describe the dynamic between the two characters? I'll just I'll just tell you one little thing that sort of sums up the the whole relationship. You know, he he left, uh, which happens to actors for whatever reason. He felt that he didn't want to be on ER anymore, and he left. And then he came back, and uh, so he'd been the the king of the admit, and now I was in the admit. You know? <laughs> And from his first day back, uh, you know what he called me? <laughs> Grandpa. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's perfect. I just loved it, <laughs> you know. And it just sort of set the. And uh, we're uh, we're very close friends. He is uh, a, a very interesting person, and uh, and I. Uh, I think uh, someone said to me one time, you know, the, the way to be interesting is to be interested. And he's interested in everything and he travels all the time. And he's, uh, 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 he, we actually, uh, we, we both live in Los Angeles and we both live in Highland Park, which is a neighborhood that when I moved in here 25 years ago was so funky that, uh, a lot of my friends wouldn't come visit me here and now has become super hip yeah. sort of in the last two or three years. And uh, so I, I do see him from time to time and uh, he's, he's just, he, he's a delightful human being. And I know you touched a little bit on the solemn goodbye that Frank has to Greg Pratt in season 15. And in spite of everything, Frank really st- still seems to managed to have his moments his concern for jerry after he shot dancing with abby lockhart on her last night in the er is there a moment where frank's um softer side shines through that stands out for you as a personal favorite well you know i i hadn't thought about that moment with abby but uh you know think about that you know frank 
and we all like Frank. I, I probably like Frank more than you do. <laughs> no, Frank from my house. Uh, but he was a minor character on ER, and he he you know he brought something to the party. But if Frank had never been there, people would not have stopped watching ER. But for them to give me Abby's last moment in the ER, and 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 that an, another total surprise that she's yeah you know, uh, talking about the tango and she's supposed to go tango and she doesn't know how, and he gives her a tango lesson <laughs> there in ninety seconds or something, and she and she tangles out the door and we never see her again. Well. Talk about a love letter from the writers. You know, they didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's that's probably my favorite moment of all of, of ER. Just and uh, by the way, I think that she uh, is really as good as any actress on earth. She's really, you know, once uh, I don't know when some sometime on ER. Uh, I was there and I, I, a scene was going on. I stand next to one of the producers and I said, uh, you know what I would like to see her do? He said, what's that? I said, anything, <laughs> anything that's ever been written, she could do it. You know, that's, uh, yeah, I miss her. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, so to shift gears a little bit, you know, obviously you have your favorite moments here. Were there any scenes or moments that you found particularly difficult to perform personally? You know, I don't remember any. Uh, there, there probably, there, there may have been some, but I really don't, uh, I, I really don't remember anything uh, that is stuck in my mind as being particularly uh, difficult or, or distasteful or aggravating or fatiguing. I just, th that whole thing was, uh, was a, uh, a joyride for me. Talk about a testament to the writing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yourself and a handful of other uh, cast members, um, I think by my count, it was like seven or eight others, um, had the kind of lucky distinction of being in both the pilot and the series finale. Um, was there kind of a sense of personal accomplishment, either yourself or amongst yourselves, of being able to be there for both the very beginning and the very end? Yeah, you know, I've never thought about it in that way, but, uh, you know, consciously. But now that you mentioned it, I, you know, it is a really, uh, a really nice uh, moment in my life and certainly in my career. And, and when I, I uh, occasionally look at IMDb and, you know, look up some actor and think, I did 129 of just ER. You know, how many actors get to do 129 episodes of anything? Right. right. You know, and it and it wasn't some piece of schlock. It was one of the great pieces of, of television. It's certainly in television history, and I was there from the very beginning to the very end. You know, that's uh, yeah, I am proud of that. So, is there? particular memory from your time on the show that stands out as special or personally memorable? I know we've touched on a few ones that you have particularly fond memories of, but like, is there like something that stands out like as like, it's the memory? I think uh, 
possibly uh, uh, being able to work. Uh, I worked with Eli Wallach on uh, uh, a movie called Article 99. And, you know, I mean, this guy is practically the history of the movies, you know. <laughs> and then he turns up on ER. And it was actually very sad, you know. They, I, I don't know if they cut him out completely, but almost. And he was like 95 at the time or something. And he invited all of his friends to his uh, house in New York to, to, watch, to watch him on ER. And then he wasn't on it. Uh, or was just on for a moment or something. I think I think it hurt him. Uh, but he's a guy who was in the movies for sixty some years, and was still full of joy and enthusiasm. And I remember on it, the the movie that I made with him, he, he just pulled me aside one time. He said, "Kid," he said, "You are an artist in a business, and being an artist in a business." It's like being a cockroach in an elephant's ear. <laughs> Which I've never known exactly what that means. I think what it means is you're along for the ride, but you are not driving. <laughs> oh, you're an actor. But that, that was, uh, that was uh, delightful, you know. And then uh, also in that, that last season, they had Ernest Borgnine, you know. <laughs> really, Ernest Borgnine. I'm sit there on stage with Ernest Borgnine. I, I, I don't know if, you, uh, if, if you've ever heard this. Ernest Borgnine had a weird sort of entry into, into acting. He was in the Navy for 10 years as a cook's assistant. And then he got out and he got a job in a factory in New York and he hated it. To him, it was like prison. And he told his mother, I'm going to reenlist. She said, well, you... You like making a fool out of yourself in front of people. Why don't you be an actor? <laughs> he said, the golden light went on, and that's what I did. And then, once he became an actor, then he was very frustrated because uh, all all the good roles seemed to go to, uh, you know, the Paul Newmans and people like that. And, uh, and uh, Ernest Borgnine wasn't getting those parts, and he was thinking of quitting acting. And then he saw a guy selling chestnuts on the street in New York City and he had a little burner of some kind of, you know, like a little charcoal hibachi or something These uh, for, for the, the, the chestnuts and the guy had a sign that said I'm not trying to light the world on fire I'm just trying to keep my nuts <laughs> <laughs> and, and it up on his Borgnine's head and went, oh, yeah I don't have to be the actor in the world i can just be an actor and keep my nuts warm and that's uh, enjoyed the rest of his career i think it's i love that little story i i need that just as a sign in our house <laughs> um so we actually we got the opportunity we had some fan questions submitted by people who really wanted to get us to pick your brain and the first you touched on a little bit, um, who was the nicest or your favorite guest star to have on set with you? Well, I think Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker uh, is possibly the smartest, nicest person I know in this business. And boy, is he a good actor. And uh, he's one of those guys, he'll go all day, he says nothing. But if he says something, it's awfully good, you know. And and his work is always 
perfect and uh yeah i mean but that's uh you know if you worked on er particularly as much as i did you worked with everybody in hollywood who had a sag card <laughs> you know everybody went through there uh sally fields sally fields is another one i mean that's a big star and you know what she cared about when she was at the er mm. the work <laughs> she came in uh you know like she was the scrub woman <laughs> she was there to do it and that was it and uh i really admire that and love that and then um the other fan question we had was did you have a favorite episode that you worked on you know my memory's not <laughs> <laughs> but but i would say if i had to pick one probably what we've ta talked about when when i dance with abby that that's really uh, th that's off the charts sweet to me so we'll just say whatever the name of that episode was <laughs> so we kind of are making it a, a habit of asking this question of everybody we talk to but what do you think it's important for fans of the show to know about it from kind of a behind the scenes perspective what's something that they wouldn't get to know just from watching the show that you think is important for them to know well you know, it's something that's that's in my mind uh, uh, now, and I think probably in all, in all of our minds because of the turmoil that's going on uh, and the importance of uh, of just being decent people. And uh, that was another one of the driving factors on ER. Is you know the work was was very hard that was a you know it was a lot of work done in every 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 10 day shoot and six in the morning till about 10 at night uh uh five five days a week but people were nice you know noel wiley just a sweetheart and you know i never actually worked with george clooney but the same thing just a nice nice guy and that that tone was set and it was maintained. Uh, uh, Mackay Pfeiffer, just a, 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 a sweet guy. Uh, and uh, as, as a general rule, uh, you didn't see people see, being mean, being selfish. Uh, you saw people coming in, being nice to all their coworkers and, uh, and and doing really good work. And I, I think it doesn't matter what you're doing. That's be nice. <laughs> I, I was working in Atlanta on something uh, three or four years ago. And uh, a guy about my age, a guy like in his early 70s, saw me uh, in a sidewalk cafe. And he's a businessman in Atlanta. And he has a radio show that's on uh, once a week or something to talk about business and he asked me if I'd be on I was on it and uh, and we had a night nice, uh, did a nice episode and then something about it made him remember something that happened when he was in college in the 60s and he emailed this to me later he said uh, that his roommate in college had posted on the door to their dorm room a sign that said 
the rules. Rule number one, the nice rule, be nice. Rule number two, the fucked up rule. Don't let fucked up people get you fucked up. <laughs> and rule number three, the Scarlett O'Hara rule. Tomorrow is another day. Isn't that fantastic? That's, awesome. That's oh. the secret of life right there. And it's some kid in college made that up in 1965, you know? Pretty good. That, that, that seems like an appropriate time frame for that to have come up, though. Um, and last but certainly not least, do you have any current projects that you're working on, and where can fans keep up with you? Oh, are you <laughs> kidding? I, do you know about Bosch? I have yet to catch up on it. I have my family's big fans, but I haven't caught up yet. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things, though. Well, do you know? Do you know who Michael Connolly is? Are you familiar with Michael Connolly? He used to be a reporter for the L.A. Times, and mm -hmm. about. 25 years ago or so, he started writing novels. And he has, and he, the Lincoln Lawyer, did you see that movie with Matthew McConaughey? Mm -hmm. That's a that's based on a, a, a Michael Connelly novel. And then he's got a series of novels about a LAPD homicide detective, Harry Bosch. And he's written like 25 of those and sold well over 100 million of them. You know, wow. one year for 25 years. And about six years ago, uh, they started a, a TV series on Amazon Prime of the Bosch stories. And, and this is another, uh, you know, story about good things that happen in life. Remember the little theater at the very beginning of this? I was telling you about the theater uh, up in Santa Maria I worked mm -hmm. at. Mm -hmm. And another, besides John Wells, another young playwright named Eric Overmeyer came through there and because uh, he knew some other actors who were working there and I met him and then a couple of years later he asked me if I'd go to Arizona and do a workshop of a play of his called In Perpetuity Throughout the Universe and that's not a dream job you know it's not even a real production <laughs> you've gone to Arizona and you're doing a, a, a just something so the so the writer and the and the director can can sort of work through the play but i went and did it and then we did the show at center stage baltimore and then we moved to off broadway in new york and you know it, was, it wasn't a great big deal but it was pleasant and then here 40 years later he called me up six years ago and said yeah you know michael Connolly and i are working on a project and i think there's something here for you and what it is is Harry Bosch has two friends who are also homicide detectives that he calls Crate and Barrel. <laughs> and a guy named Greg Cummins is Crate and I'm Barrel. And it's been wonderful. People love it. And and people including me. It's it's if you like cop shows yeah. and it's it's really, really well done. And uh, Titus Wolliver plays uh, plays Harry Bosch and uh, uh, so we, we finished season six is out now and whenever we can start filming again then we'll do we'll do a, a season seven and I think they've told the writers to, uh, to put a bow on it that that will be the, the end of the Bosch TV series but but it's you know I was fully retired at the at the end of ER uh, then it seemed like 
like kind of that was the end of the of the road for me and that, and that was fine i figured i had more than my share and if it was somebody else's turn you know so be it and then three years after that suddenly i've i've got a job i've done now like 55 episodes of the bosch so executive vice president of the lucky club <laughs> and you know i have to tell you apropos of, well because it's an er show you know what i've been doing for the past five weeks tell us please Re recovering from the coronavirus no really? i had it oh my and god lived to tell. well we're so yes. glad to hear you're doing better yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, it's that's just, uh, and I, I I have to tell you, if you've read it all about it, you probably know that that people's experience is all over the map. You know, some people yeah. die, and some people have no symptoms. And I was kind of, I got real sick, but I never had it in my lungs, never had a cough, had a temperature one day. Uh, and uh, other than that, I was just, I was in bed for like two and a half weeks and just like the worst flu you've ever had. But it would, never was in an emergency room, never on a ventilator, just sick and then done with it. And I'll take yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, wow. wow. That's, and uh, they don't know this for sure, but in theory, I'm now immune to it, you know? So we'll find out. Well, we're extremely glad that you've made a a full recovery, it seems. So, um, and I think unless anyone else, unless either of you have any other questions for, I'm, I'm yeah, good. no, this is awesome. Um, yeah, um, I just want to say again, thank you so, so very much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. It's you know, I grew up with the show, so to actually get to sit down with someone who's been on the sh who's, you know, even if you're not like a main main character, like just but you're still like ubiquitous with my memories of the show. It's it's been a genuine pleasure and honor to talk with you today, sir. My my older oh sorry, go ahead. I just let me tell you what my what my grandfather would say, which is the pleasure was half mine. <laughs> hey hey, thanks. You're you're very good at this. I had a wonderful time and and I really appreciate being included.